0: Hello and welcome back to Tort Talk. This is the podcast put on by Gross and Schuster talking about all things legal, all things law, news, basically everything and anything that you would want to know before you would even go to court. Now, if you have not been listening to previous episodes, well, first of all, why not go back and take a listen to them? Not right now. Finish this episode first, then go back and listen to them. But secondly, I'll just let you know who we are. I'm Paul Stadden. I'm the person who owns the microphones. I ask the questions. I stand in for you, the listener. The more important voice, the one you're going to hear from, that would be Terrence Gross of Gross and Schuster, and so glad to have you in the studio again, Terrence. Looking forward to talking more tort reform today.
1: Good, and uh, this is really uh, part two of our tort reform uh, discussion. We talked last time that in March of 2023, the legislature quickly moved and they passed a law within the first 10 days of the session, which the uh, governor signed very quickly, and it became law instantaneously uh, for the most part. And uh, never, I can't remember that ever happening in my career. There's, and even with tort reform, it's usually like one item per year. They would take mm. one issue and try to push, and sometimes it passed, sometimes they get defeated. But this time, they passed maybe 12 different bullet points all at once. Wow. And uh, now we're going to have to live with it. And and maybe it will undergo constitutional scrutiny, but that could take 10 years. i mm. uh, give you an example. They did the same thing many years ago, medical malpractice. They put a $500,000 cap on damages, regardless of what happened to you. And um, the Supreme Court finally ruled it was unconstitutional, but it was the law for 10 years Hmm. before it finally made it to the Supreme Court and before the Supreme Court tossed it out. So uh, it's not like you all of a sudden it's going to get appellate scrutiny next
0: week. Right, right. So then can you talk about some other examples that have happened recently of tort reform in the legislation?
1: Yes. So another example, and we got to go back to what we were beforehand. So I've always been proud of the fact that Florida was what we call a pure comparative negligent state as opposed to a contributory negligent state. To give you an example of what I'm talking about, let's say Paul's driving down the road in East Hill. And most of the time, the speed limit around here seems to be 25, we'll say. And let's say on that given day, Paul's going 35. Well, that's speeding, not horrible. A lot of people do it. Uh, But let's say he's going 35, Mm -hmm. and somebody pulls out from a stop sign, and it's a classic T-bone. And then it goes to trial, and the jury says, well, you know, Paul was speeding, but this guy did pull out from the stop sign. We're going to find the guy that pulled out from the stop sign 90% of fault. We're going to find Paul 10% of fault and which means in reality, Paul gets 90% of his damages, which I thought that's pretty fair. Okay. Yeah. That's a fair system. I could, I could, I've always accepted that. I thought that was very reasonable. So if a a plaintiff has found 25% of fault, he gets 75% of his damages. Very, very logical. Well, in Alabama, they are a contributory negligence state, which is sort of an old school doctrine. And if you're found one percent in Alabama, you get nothing. Oh, so the guy, other person, be ninety nine percent at fault. So very dangerous uh, action. So what they did in Florida is they developed a hybrid. We went away from pure comparative negligence, but didn't go all the way to contributory. Okay. But basically, what they put in there is that if you're found 51% at fault, you get nothing. Now, at first blush, you say, well, that's not too bad. If you're 51% at fault, you know, you, you did something pretty wrong. But in car wrecks, I, I don't have much heartburn about that because, you know, it's it's usually one party's a lot more at fault than the other. So I, I'm not too worried about that. But what what worries me is on these so-called slip falls and trip falls. And so let me mm. explain this to you. Because... Uh, we, we've we done a lot, and first of all, there seems to be a myth, oh, slip fall, trip fall, fake or whatever, but the injuries we look at on these slip and trip falls, you won't believe it. Lots of surgeries, lots of broken bones. If you slip, you go walk in the aisle of a grocery store, and you slip, you lose your feet completely, like mm-hmm. on ice, for mm-hmm. instance, and you hit your bottom, very easy to compress disc and just herniate. Boom, 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 multiple herniated disc and maybe – you know, lumbar surgeries and right. so forth, or you stick your hand out and then you get a, a severe mm-hmm. wrist fracture and then surgeries and tendons get torn. And so there can be real injuries. But let me just tell you about a case I, I watched mm. 25 years ago. One, one of mine, I, it was probably 30 years ago. And I, I used to love going to court and just watching trials. And this lawyer on a slip fall, he brought in what was called a human factors expert. And he was introduced and said, hmm, I was going, hmm, I'm wondering what this is all about. And this guy was wonderful. What he said is you gotta think about what grocery stores and stores do. So let's just I'm gonna use Publix, for instance. Sure, not, sure. not picking on them as an example, but the, you know, you got your regular aisles that we all go down to, but mm-hmm. at the end of each aisle, a lot of time are displays and they charge extra and so to get in to those displays cost you money. In fact, they even talk about it on Shark Tank a lot about, right. you know, if you're going to try to push a product. And me, a lot of times, I'm like, probably like you are, your wife says, Paul, we need some bread, milk, and eggs. Right. Could you please go? You go, right? Yeah. But then you go and you come back, well kinds of stuff you had? No idea you could bring it. Oh, I'll take some <laughs> well, of this. Oh, we need some light bulbs and here's this. Sure. Or whatever you're getting. But then you also do that spontaneous thing because there's something at the end of the aisle like olive oil. Oh, yeah, I remember we were running low in olive oil. Right. Let me get some of this olive oil. And you just grab that one because it's convenient. Mm-hmm. You don't even go mm-hmm. down the olive oil a row. But, but what these stores are doing is getting you to do what? To look at the product. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at the product, guess what you're not doing? You're not looking at the floor. Mm. Human factors. So everything about the way the stores are set up is Mm. to catch your eye. Two for one, three for one, whatever it may be, not look at the floor. So when Paul comes around the corner and somebody dropped a jar of mayonnaise and broke it. Mm -hmm. It, It's there, but Paul's not looking at the floor because he's doing like everybody else. He's looking for whatever he wants to purchase, and then he goes down, and there's pictures and whatever, and then he goes to a jury three years later, and they go, well, if it had been me, I've been looking where I was walking. He walked right (laughs) into that mayonnaise, and we find him you know, 55% of fault because he should have been looking where he was going. But everything, the way these stores are set up is that is to keep you from looking where you're going. Right, right. And, and I know like for with me, here's the one thing about a little personal thing with me and my wife. She loves to bake cookies. She uses one kind of flour, King Arthur. And she says, Terry, okay, okay. if you come home and it ain't King Arthur, self-rising, do not you know, come in my kitchen. So I'm, I'm always looking, you know, where's, where's the King Arthur? <laughs> you right. Because I've been trained, you know. And, uh, and And so I'm not looking at the floor and and you could mm-hmm. just all of a sudden mm-hmm. somebody's spilled a soda, dropped something and you hit it and bam. But yet at trial the built-in argument on every slip fall is you should have been looking where you're going. And then you get these juries go, "Well, I'm very careful. I'm always looking." But again, yeah, so that that's the danger. So I'm worried really, really worried about these slip falls because it's rare that you have a slip fall
0: accident that they don't find the the uh injured party somewhat at fault right i i don't want to try to take this into a different direction or a tangent but i just think about in terms of using the grocery store example and a lot of times if there is something on the floor that's spilled it's another customer's fault it's not necessarily the grocery store's fault so is that taken into account they're like okay who spilled this or is it just hey the grocery store should have caught it the second it happened and they're the ones that are at fault no, no, no. There's
1: there, there's lots of, about that debate. And, and and sometimes, I remember probably every first-year law student in America mm. uh, reads the same case, and it's called the Black Banana Peel case. Okay. Because it was dark, which means it had been, you know, subject to the air and, and where the cart tracks in it. So, notice, but there's a lot of it has to do with... Um, Programs, you know, what what they do about wet floor signs and how often they inspect mm-hmm. and, and so forth. So it all depends about the source, but sure, that's always part of the case. Okay. It's because arguably, that's right. Someone could have just dropped it. How would the store even know in 30 seconds that you, just, you were the poor guy that just came around? Thirty seconds later, after they dropped that jar of mayonnaise and they just took off because they're embarrassed, right. and then nobody had a chance. So you're right, and that's going to be an argument. Well, I just
0: think when we've discussed before about uh, you know who is sueable, you know, because this person here, well, they're they're broke. There's no point in suing them. You're not going to get anything. Uh, and this, but this other, it's, you know, if you are hit by. Um, a county cop car, for example, you know, if they're the ones that are at fault, well, then then you can take on the county or the state or something, or, you know, you can take on a delivery truck for a large corporation. You know, so in terms of thinking about percentages of fault and not having it be just, um, you know, 10% is going to go to you, 20% is going to go to you, 40%, you know, 40% blame, you're spreading around the blame. Now it's, well, you were 51%, so sorry, too bad. You know, this changes... So much about who would be able to be sued and get and get uh, in compensation from. I would think. But then again, I'm also not a lawyer.
1: No, I think you're thinking right. So what it's going to do it's it's going to cause lawyers to hit the pause button and decide, you know, whether they pursue this given case or not. And we've had some very tough cases uh, mm. out there. Uh, my son has one pending now where there's a parking lot situation. And I think they must have removed the concrete, you know, barrier where your, your tires go up against in the parking spot, mm-hmm. and but they let the metal rod there, oh. and somebody got a car and tripped over it, and then the store saying, well, we didn't know about it, or whatever, and my son was able to find out. That the same thing had happened two years before, another lady had hit oh. that scene. So they hadn't even corrected it. There had already been another lawsuit, oh my gosh. and they never fixed it. But They were trying to make it, oh we didn't know, and <laughs> you know could have just you know. And so you know it, 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 it just all depends. But yes, but again that the, the, the fit, they're tough cases anyways. A lot of lawyers won't even take uh, slip falls and trip falls, and now they're just making it even tougher. Uh, and that's what they're trying to do. They're mm-hmm. it's they're they're trying to go against. lawyers to make it tougher for them to pursue claims, but again, who is the unintended or the intentionally intended victim, it's the actual action victim is a victim twice. They're not just a, a victim because of
0: their injury. Now they're a victim of the new tort reform. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm looking forward to talking more about the ramifications of the laws in the next episode, because we are out of time for this one. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode of tort talk. We've been talking about tort reform past couple episodes, and we're going to be talking about it in the next couple of episodes as well. And if you want to hear another topic, well, don't worry. All you have to do is go back and listen to the previous episodes of the show. We've got about 30 or so of them in the bank already for you to go back and listen to. How can people get a hold of you, Terrence? Well, uh, by phone,
1: 850-434-3333 or visit us on the web at grossandschuster.com.
0: Awesome. Appreciate it so much and we'll catch you next week.
1: Thanks.